Most great projects are marked at one point or another by something that functions as or feels like sabotage. We are all of us too good at seeking the status quo and living in our comfort zones even when we know that choice is to our detriment. Think of the blind man that Jesus saw sitting by the side of the road, Bartimaeus. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? Did Bartimaeus really want to see? Was he prepared for a life he knew not, one in which begging would not be an option for him? What was he going to do? Was he going to take a radical risk and a new life? Or was he going to find some reason to sabotage himself and remain in the life he knew, sitting by the street and begging for his daily bread. Perhaps you know the story of Christopher Columbus' first voyage to the New World. On the way to the Canary Islands, he was charting a new and frightening course for the westward journey, and his sailors were anxious. And one of the ships, the Pinta, the Pinta's rudder broke, and they suspected perhaps the owners of the ship had broken it on purpose because the custom of the day was that all three ships would have to turn back. But rather than following that custom, Columbus stayed clear, and he did not turn back with the damaged boat, and he refused to allow his project to be sabotaged, and he sailed on to the Canary Islands, leaving the Pinta to follow or not. And a week or so after Columbus arrived in the islands, the Pinta sailed into sight. Well, Jesus also stayed clear in the face of sabotage. He lived into and unveiled a great project and a new possibility. He sought to reinterpret the key markers of the Judaism of his day, the law, the land, and today the temple, and say that from now on, the gifts that those things represent, law as God-given identity, land, belonging, as represented as place and temple, the assurance of God's presence in the midst of the people. From now on, what people sought in those things would now be found instead in right relationship, right relationship with and in him. His obvious saboteurs were the religious authorities, of course, those whose sense of righteousness and their own self-interest and their livelihood and their understanding of what really mattered was at stake. They were well and truly sick of this Galilean with his raising up the virtues of Samaritans, always a slam against the establishment, and his ragging on the religious traditions of the temple as somehow getting in the way of real faith. It was as though they saw and dismissed him as someone who was just spiritual but not religious. They could not or would not hear his concern to fulfill, fulfill the law, fulfill the purpose of the temple, to fulfill the meaning of the land rather than destroy it. He's blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? What is your verdict? He deserves death. Sabotage. The less obvious sabotage Saboteurs are his followers, of course, his followers across the world and down the ages, likely including every one of us, as we continue to miss, 
or avoid or ignore the radical and costly claims of the good news that Jesus proclaimed. Some have seen it and wrestled with it. It was in April, in fact, April the 9th, 1945, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by the Nazis in a concentration camp at Flossenburg. He had a Lutheran pastor. He had considered the costliness of grace, as he wrote on the Sermon on the Mount, that was called The Cost of Discipleship. And he paid the price of, in, of his integrity in his own time with his own life. But not before he had witnessed fellow prisoners who were Christian, self-proclaimed Christian, facing death with fear. And at the same time, seeing self-proclaimed atheist resistance fighters facing death with courage. In a delicious phrase that has inspired me among many, he wrote in his letters from prison that what the world needs is a religionless Christianity, one in which our own religious sacred cows, our own Torah and land and temples, the temples of our time, whatever they are, are reinterpreted toward right relation with God and all whom God hath made. It's easy enough to say amen to that, just as the disciples said amen to Jesus. But we can all recognize ourselves in Peter. We can all recognize our own self-interest, sabotaging the very values, the very gospel that we embrace and espouse, the very places we see and grasp at life. We're like Peter. Who would ever, ever deny our Lord? But like Peter, we get sabotaged ourselves when we are alone. We're perverted by loneliness. Loneliness is the great perverter. Peter lurked in the shadows, and he did what he would never do in the light. He denied his friend three times before the cock crowed. What seems like the easy path, the times when we say, oh, to heck with it, the falsehood we tell ourselves when we think, well, one war won't matter, the things we would never do if someone else was watching, and in the age of data, big data and Google, usually someone is watching in some way, shape, or form, these are all ways in which we sabotage God's project God's project to bring us to the fullness of the people we were created to be. God's project of bringing salvation to the whole world. We sabotage God's project being made manifest in us. When we cross to the other side of the street and avoid someone in clear distress, or when we cannot stay awake and watch with Jesus, that sleepiness, being equally avoidant behavior, we are, in effect and in practice, denying our Lord. It is always those closest to us who are the most devastating saboteurs of our most godly projects. And so when we are confronted with our own denial, with our own role in sabotaging God's project, 
when we are confronted, if our honest response is repentance, then a good start is with Peter to turn our back on the place of sin and to go out and to weep bitterly.